you are listening to audio from Community Bible Church. If you would like to find out more information about us, please visit us at cbcsavannah.com. If you have a, a, a Bible, copy God's Word, turn to Jonah 1. If you're a guest or you're, you're gone last week, uh, we are done with Matthew and we are in a new book of the Bible, uh, the book of Jonah, much shorter uh, than 61 weeks. It'll be five. This is week two, so we're almost already done. Um, but uh, what we, s- we saw last week is kind of that we cracked the door open. So if you were like, I didn't miss last week, we just kind of did an intro and some background. So we'll catch up a little bit uh, and as we work our way through, but we're going to cover chapter one today. Uh, there was a uh, movie that came out in the early 2000s, one of Tom Cruise, who is the greatest actor of all time, just in case you were wondering. Uh, he is. Uh, he needs an Oscar. But uh, there was this movie called Minority Report. It's a guy film, I know, but I'm a guy, so that's okay. So in this movie, the, the premise is this, okay? It was based on a Philip Dick uh, short story that, that in the future, kind of this you know, dystopian future, they've eliminated all crime, serious crime, all murders is gone because they have these, these, three, these three beings they call the precogs, that they have foreknowledge of every serious crime. They kind of like see it before it happens. So they've created this, this police force called the pre-crime, you know, and these pre-crime cops, they, they go arrest people before they commit the crime. So it's, it's beautiful. Like the crime never happens. They arrest them, they put them in jail and, and, it's, all, and it's supposed to be 100%, you know, works every time kind of thing, except it doesn't because Tom Cruise, who's the top cop, uh, is falsely accused of a murder he's supposedly going to commit. And, you know, there's, there's this rabbit trail you can go down. Just watch the movie. It's great. Um, anyway, so there's this great scene, though. And, and when he's falsely accused, they see that he's going to commit this murder. And so they, they go to arrest him. And he's surrounded by all these, these pre-crime crops, the ones he's trained. He's the, he's the top dog, the one everyone wants to be like. They're all his protégés. And uh, they tell him, don't run. Don't run. And he's like, you don't have to chase me. And they say, don't run. And in this great line, he says, everybody runs. Everybody runs. And of course, the rest of the movie is him running and them chasing. And then he comes on top because he's Tom Cruise, because he's Maverick and he wins every time. Um, (laughs) Except in The Last Samurai, he kind of loses there, but that's a different story. Okay. But those two ideas, everyone runs and then someone's gonna chase. That's Jonah one. That's, That's Jonah chapter one. What we saw last week, as we kind of recapped where Jonah falls, it's important to understand where Jonah falls. And so Jonah falls right in 750-ish BC, right? That's where he lands. He's in the Northern Kingdom, uh, right before the Assyria comes and takes the Northern Kingdom away. And he kind of is prophesying in that world, right? That's where he lives. Um, and we saw that God says, arise and go to Nineveh. And so he arises, all right, and he goes to Tarshish. He goes to Spain. He's like, I need to see the med. I'm going that way. So he, God says, go east. He goes west, right? Because he's fleeing the presence of the Lord. Uh, and, and what we're going to see as we kind of uh, work through this book, Jonah doesn't have a lot of prophecies per se, but he is a walking prophecy that he who has a divine calling rebels against God. God has to bring the hammer down and then he rescues him which is a picture of Israel who has a divine calling and they rebel against God. He has to bring the hammer down and then he eventually redeem. And guess what? That's your story. And that's my story, right? That's what God does. Because in the end, this book is not about a fish. It's not about a worm. It's not about seaweed. It's not about anything else. It is about who God is and what he is like. Who is God? What is he like? He tells us. He is a God merciful and gracious. 
He is a God who is slow to anger. He is a God who is abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. And in light of that, what do we do with this idea about running and chasing? That's what I wanna talk about today, all right? So let me read the entire chapter. You've heard it. If you grew up in Sunday school, you had a flanograph with it somewhere. That's the 80s, okay? Some of you are like, what's a flanograph? Go Google it. Um, but you, you've seen the story. Let me read it and then we'll come and pack it together. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. And he went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid and each cried out to his God and they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had lain down and was fast asleep. So the captain came and said to him, what do you mean, you sleeper? Arise and call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. And they said to one another, come, let us cast lots that we may know whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots and the lot fell on Jonah. And then they said to him, tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation? Where do you come from? What is your country? What people are you? And he said to them, I am a Hebrew. And I fear the Lord, the God of the heaven who made the sea and the dry land. And the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, what is this you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he told them. And when they said it to them, what shall we do that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. And he said, pick me up and hurl me into the sea. The sea will quiet down for you, for I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land, but they could not, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore, they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life and lay not on us innocent blood for you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and they hurled him into the sea. And the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. So our text picks up and we've seen Jonah is on a downward spiral, right? He's fleeing the presence of the Lord. He's basically saying, I'm out of the prophet business. I'm done. And he goes the other way. He's resigning. And he's going down. He's spiraling down. He goes down to jump. He goes down into the boat. We're going to see he goes down in the deeper part of the boat today. And then he goes down into the sea. He's down because he's running, right? He's running. And and here's the principle. Before we even jump in any new verses this week, the principle that you have to grasp that is true of you, that is true of him. It is true in that movie. Everyone runs. Everybody runs. Not everyone's a runner. That's different but everyone runs spiritually. We resist what God has said. God says, arise, go to Nineveh. And we say, no, thank you. I'm going to Tarshish. We do it all the time, right? We reject God's authority, reject his word. We do what we wanna do. We do what Jeremiah says is true of Israel. My people have committed two evils. They've forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and they've hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns. They can hold no water. 
We run from the one who says, at my right hand are pleasures evermore. No, 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 not at your right hand. Over here is pleasure. And so I've, I've, I've rejected living water and I've tried to create my own little Tupperware that's cracked and it can't hold water. That's what we do. It's what we've been doing since Genesis 3. Since God said to Adam and Eve, okay, think about the Garden of Eden. Think about how good the Garden of Eden is. God says, do two things. All I want you to do is eat whatever you want and go and make babies. Those are your two rules. Those are pretty easy rules to follow. That's what everyone wants to do. But they say, no, 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 you know, we're gonna do our own thing. So Satan comes along and he says, hey, you don't need to do what God says. You need to be the captain of your own ship. You need to drive this deal. You need to decide what's right and wrong. They're like, yeah, that's a good idea. And so what do they do? They eat. And then what do they do? As soon as they eat, they hide, they run. And ever since then, we've been running. Ever since then, God says this and go to this. That's Jonah, that's you, that's me. And here's what's interesting. As I was studying this week, I didn't know this before. Do you know there's, there's one book that on the Day of Atonement, the Jews read, the Day of Atonement, the highest feast for the, for the, uh, the seven feasts, the day that they, their sins are atoned for. It's the day in the Old Testament, the high priest used to go in the one time to the Ark of the Covenant and he put the blood on the altar. They put the two goats out front. There's the scapegoat that goes off into the wilderness and the goat that's sacrificed. That high, high feast for them, the highest of feasts. You know what book they read on the Day of Atonement? Not Leviticus. They read Jonah of all books. Why? Because Jonah is us and we is him. Because you run and he runs, right? That's, that is us. And before we move on into how do we deal with this and what are, what are, what are some practical things, here, here's what's practical. And this is not to be judgmental or have you be down or whatever. I think it would be helpful for you. First of all, to acknowledge that you run. But secondly, to, to think about where is it that you run when you run, where do you run to? Because there is always a boat to Tarshish waiting. And there's a bazillion boats to Tarshish. Which one do you run to? Would it, to have some self-awareness here. Maybe you run to the boat of bitterness. Look, at if you're looking to be bitter about something, there's always someone for you to resent. There's always someone for you to be jealous of. There's always someone to hurt you. My parents are this and my spouse is this and my, my frat brother was this and blah, blah, blah. You wanna be bitter? There's a boat for that. You can run to it anytime you want. Maybe there's a, a, there's a boat for, to immorality that some of you are, are you're on because there's always gonna be an app for that. A swipe right, a swipe left, a swipe to the angle, whatever you're swiping. There's always gonna be a website to click on. There's always gonna be a Netflix show to watch. There's always gonna be a person that you can abuse and use for your own benefit. If you want a boat to immorality, it's there. If you want, you want people to affirm whatever you believe about whatever you wanna do, you'll find somebody. Yeah, do, you do, do. Doesn't matter as long as you don't hurt anybody. You can be whatever you want. You can do whatever you want. There's a boat for that. You can hop on on it. You wanna You wanna covet? You want to, you want, there's a boat for coveting. There's probably some of you are coveting someone's boat, actually. <laughs> they have two 400s. I only have one 400. Oh, they got 24 feet. I only have 22 feet. Oh, yeah. I have a kayak. That's all I have. <laughs> so whatever you have, I want. All right. But they, they look this way. I want to look like them. They have this spouse. I want to have that spouse. I want, they got into this school. They got accepted to this. They got to bid to this sorority. They, 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 they. You want a boat for coveting? There's a boat for that. There is. You want a boat to anxiety and worry? There's a boat for that. <gasps> what are we going to do? Oh, this, oh, that, oh, this. Oh, my kid's four years old. What are they going to go to college? Oh, no. 
How are we going to pay for that? Oh, no. You want to worry about things? There's going to be something to worry about. You can always worry. Oh, who's going to win the presidency? Oh, whoa, whoa, whoa. you can lose sleep over that. You want to do that? You can get on that boat. You want to overindulge? Right? You feel down. You feel this. Oh, if I just get on Amazon, I can prime that. It'll make me happy until the credit card bill comes in next month. I can binge watch some show on Netflix for the next 36 hours. I can binge on food, on something to drink, on some pill that'll make the pain go away. There's a boat for that. Some of you, it might be your work. This is chaos over here. The house is chaos. So what am I gonna do? I'm gonna just pour myself 80 hours a week into my work because I can't deal with that. And this is where I feel good and this is what I'm good. So my identity is wrapped up in this. And so I'll just binge work. I'll just get on the boat to work because we're created to work, right? I gotta do well. And it's just an escape. Or maybe it's your golf game or you're fishing or whatever. You're running from this and you run to that boat. What's your boat? Where do you run? You just need to, you need to be self-aware enough to know this is where I run. You know why? Because everyone runs. It's what you do. You just gotta know where you run, right? Because that'll help us when we get into the, the, to the one who chases. Because there is one who chases. My dog, Maisie, I have two dogs. Uh, and the oldest dog, Maisie, when she was younger, especially, she doesn't do this anymore because she knows I'll drop the hammer. But she, we used to take her out. She still does it for my kids because she doesn't listen to anybody but me. But they'll go out and they'll have her on a leash and she'll get this little spark in her eye. You'll see it. It's rebellion. And she knows how to pull in a certain way that she can get out of that leash and then she's going. Pew. Now she's a little overweight, so she only goes like 20 yards. But she's like, she's just frenzying all over the neighborhood. And then you try to go after her and what does she do? She waits for you and then she's gone again. And, and it'll be, Maisie, Come. And, and we will go and chase her. Not because, not because we hate her. We chase her because we love her and we don't want her to get hurt because there's cars driving all over. And there's people where I live that hate dogs because they're demonic, <laughs> right? They like cats and not dogs. And so, so, so we, we don't want her to run into one of these, these evil, wicked people. And so we go and we go after her. Why? Because we love her. And we try to bring her back. Because everyone runs but the beauty of our text is that God chases. God chases, right? Not because he's mad, because he cares. And so look at verse four. Jonah runs, but, circle that word, but the Lord. And it's in capital letters because it's the Hebrew word Yahweh, the covenant name of God. Jonah runs, Yahweh chases. And how does he chase? He hurls, I love this. There's gonna be a lot of hurling in this chapter. Not the kind of hurling you're thinking of. That comes next chapter, all right? But he's going to hurl a storm upon the sea. Why, because he's mad? No, because he loves Jonah and he's going after Jonah. Because what God will do in your life when you run from him, because the Lord disciplines those who he loves, I discipline my kids. Why, because I love them. I don't discipline your kids. That's your job. I discipline mine because I love mine and I, and I don't want them to self-destruct. I don't want them to run to something that I know will not bring them life, that will hurt them. So I will chase them. And, and I was listening to a preacher this week and it was so good. There's, there's, he, he mentioned there's two types of storms that God will bring that he'll hurl on your life when you're running that are very common. The first type is the type that Jonah has. God will not let you get what you want. What does Jonah want? He wants to get the Tarshish. 
What's God gonna do? He's gonna bring a storm so he can't get to Tarshish. And some of you, you want something so bad. This job, this money, to look like this, to get into this, the blah, 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 the status, the symbol, I want this many followers, whatever. And you can try as hard as you want, but God is not gonna let you do it because he loves you too much. He loves you too much and he knows that will destroy you. So I'm not gonna let you have it. Maybe that's a storm some of you are in. And the other storm is actually a little bit worse of a storm that he will give you what you want. And what will happen is you will realize when you get it and you have spent 22 years trying to get this, trying to get the scholarship, trying to get the CEO, trying to get the money, trying to get the boat, trying to, and you'll have it and you'll be like, all that and I'm still empty. I'm Tom Brady and I have 15 rings because I'm the Antichrist and I still am empty. I was thinking about this yesterday as I was watching old, old King Charles, the whatever he is, 15th, 18th, whatever. And he's finally the king. Um, and he's been wanting to be king for a long time, right? It's hard to want to be king when your mom's queen and the only way you can be king is your mom's gone. But he's finally the king. And I'm wondering as they're putting that silly little hat on him, he's walking out there and he's like, I'm the king. Isn't that great? He woke up this morning, guess what? He didn't feel no different than yesterday. He ate his eggs Benedict and his whatever. He had his Yorkies over there. Same guy. I wonder if he was like all that and I'm the, I don't feel anything. Why? Because there's only one who is the fountain of living water. And God will give you sometimes everything your heart desires so that you will realize it ain't worth it. Yeah, you're the starting this. You're there, the CEO. Yeah, you're the, you got this many followers. Feel any different? No, because it's empty in the end. And this, the storms that sometimes God brings, and he brings this one to Jonah. Doesn't let him get what he wants. Why? Because he wants Jonah to see that he is life. He wants him to return. He's chasing him because he loves him, right? So God hurls a storm. And, and it's a bad storm, right? In fact, the language here is, it's, it's, in the Hebrew, it comes out, it doesn't come out in English, but it, it personifies the boat. It's kind of supposed to be funny for them, but it's, it's like a Disney film where the boat's alive, like, help, help. You know, that's a, the, the, the ship is gonna break up. We can't handle it anymore. That's what's going on. And the mariners are afraid. These expert sailors, they sail for a living and they're freaking out. So much so that they hurl. Here's the second hurl. They're hurling the cargo that was on the boat. What's the cargo? Their paycheck. They're giving up their paycheck. They're giving up their livelihood. The reason they're on the boat, they're hurling it into the sea. Why? Just to save their lives. All the while, where's old Jonah? But Jonah is down. Remember, he's going down. He's now in the inner part of the ship. He's all knocked out. Sleep. How in the world could you sleep in the midst of that chaos? You know how? Because sin makes you stupid. Because sin makes you insensitive to everything in the world. Sin will bring you down. He's just out of it. He's out of it. In fact, I was reading some commentaries. They say he's, he's in depression. And, I, and that's maybe reading the text, but that's what it does because you're just weary, you're tired. And, and I've seen, y'all, I've seen this. I've been this. When I'm in the midst of this and I've seen people that I haven't seen in four or five months and you run into Walmart or Publix, and you're like, hey, how are you? And the life, there's no life in their eyes. See the college kid who, who was vibrant when he left and they come back and they just won't even look at you in their eyes because they just, there's a guilt and shame and they're living in this way and you know it and they know it and they just, there's just an emptiness, a lifelessness. 
That's Jonah, right? No vibrancy. Where are you, Jonah? And so God in his mercy has sent a storm. But you know what else in his mercy does? He sends a pagan captain. The captain comes to him and says, what do you mean, sleeper? How can you sleep? And he gives him a command. And, and think about this. The, almost the first words he hears as he wakes up from his siesta is, arise. Where do we hear that word before? It's the very words that God said to him in verse one. Arise. This pagan captain is saying the same thing to him that God said, get up, arise. And y'all, this is a word for us, right? This is a word for us this morning. If you're a runner and you are, what do you need to do if you're hiding in the, the cargo hold of your ship? If you're on the way to Tarsus, you know the first thing you need to do is you need to get up, you need to arise, you need to turn back towards God. You need to face your God. Arise, call to your God, is what he says. And the, and the temptation is, and you're in that, when you're kind of in that moment, it's to not arise, it's to go deeper down, it's to hide. But what God is chasing you for is not so you keep running, it's so you stop, you turn, and you will face him. That's why the storm is there. Because the beauty is this, no matter what hull of what ship, of what boat you're on, you can always, always arise and face this God. That's why he is chasing you. And someone here this morning, whether it's first service, second service, or this service, it's time for you to get up, to get out of the fetal position of running, of hiding, and face this God who's right behind you and been there all along. And the reason why the life is stormy is because of him, because he loves you. So Jonah is up. Sailors, meanwhile, are trying to figure out what is going on because there's something supernatural about the storm, clearly. They, they're like, there's something going on. So let's figure it out. Let's cast lots. They're rolling the dice, basically. We don't know exactly what they were, you know, what this looked like, but the idea was you eliminate this person, you eliminate this person, and then we find out who is the, is the problem. So they're casting lots, and Jonah's thinking, don't, oh, I know it's me, don't come to me, don't come to me. Sure enough, man, God calls that thing fall right on Jonah, and they're like, all right, what's, who, what's going on here? They don't necessarily know that he's the problem, yet, but they know that he knows what the problem is. So they, they say, tell us on whose account this evil has come. What's your job? Where are you from? Where's your country? What do you do? What, they're asking, they're peppering him with questions. And I love Jonah's response. You know, I don't necessarily sent repentance yet, but he at least is honest. He says, I am a Hebrew, which is what they as Gentiles would have called them, the Israelites, right? I am a Hebrew and I fear the Lord. Circle that word fear in your mind, right? It's a, it's a significant word. Just like hurl, it's gonna come back. It's the Hebrew word yare. It means to fear, to revere, to worship, all sorts of meanings. He says, I worship, I fear Yahweh. He's the God of heaven. He's the one who made the sea. He's the one who made the dry land. That's who I am, right? I fear Yahweh. And then the men... <laughs> were exceedingly yare, afraid. And they said, what have you done? For they knew that he was fleeing from the Lord. He told them, I, I fear Yahweh and I'm running from Yahweh, just so y'all know. And they are freaking out now because he tells them, I'm running from God. They're like, wait a minute, wait a minute. Your God is the one true God who created the sea and you thought it was a good idea to run from him by going on the sea on our boat? That's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. Because sin makes you stupid. But that's where he's at. But here's, here's what I want us to see. He stands up and faces God. But here's the second thing he does, and this is important for us, is he owns his deal. 
He's honest about it. I don't think he's repentant yet. He'll get there. A couple days in a fish will do this to you. But, he's, but he owns his deal. He doesn't say, guys, I, you know, I don't know. I just, I'm as surprised as you are, this bad storm. I mean, is it El Nino, El Nino this year? I don't know. What's going on? I've never seen this before. He said, no, no, no. I'm a Hebrew. I worship Yahweh and I'm running from him. And it's on me. This is on me. There's something powerful about admitting that you are a follower of God and yet that wasn't very God-like of me, right? I'm a follower of Jesus and that wasn't very Christ-like of me. See, that's the reality. Christians here, you gotta hear this because some of you don't, you know, you're old, no, no. Christians don't always act like Christians. And if you're saying, oh, that's not true, then you're the primary suspect, sir. Because we all run. We all run. And it, it is a powerful thing to say, I follow Jesus, but when I yelled at the umpire, that's not what Jesus would have done. I follow Jesus, but I went and did that, and that was not Christ-like. That was wrong. To acknowledge it and to own it. Right? Because here, you're not owning it to, to inform God. God isn't like, oh my goodness, I'm sorry, I missed that. You're admitting it for you. Because <laughs> it's part of, the, part of the steps back to him is to own this little three-letter word that we call sin. This is why, you know, you go to AA, what is the first thing you do? You walk in the room, you sit down, you're like, hi, my name's Bill, I'm an alcoholic. It's not to inform everyone. Everyone's like, oh, really? I thought you were just here for the brownies. Oh, right. <laughs> No, it's not, to, not so everyone you're informing, it's so that you will be announcing, I'm broken, I am a messed up person, I need help. And it's, it's part of the process of bringing you back, you facing God and you're saying, guilty, sinner. It's what the New Testament calls confession, right? And wherever you're at, good week, bad week, maybe you're the mayor of Tarshish. It is, you are never too far to face and own your deal. That's what he wants. Not because he's surprised, because he wants you back, right? Because all you're doing is hurting yourself. Y'all, some of you are like, yeah, yeah, I'm gonna do this later when I'm older. I'm, I'm, I'm a 22-year-old now. I'm just gonna live my life. I'll do this when I'm 30. All you're doing is hurting yourself. And not just yourself, everybody around you are like, no, 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 this is my deal. I'm not hurting anybody else. You think that, but you never sin in isolation. I'm just telling you. You never sin in isolation. You think, oh, this is my little pornography, my little thing. That's not, it's not a big deal. It's just me. Yeah, you think that. The only problem is it's hardening your heart. It's making you an angry person and it's hurting your future marriage and your future spouse. Whether you see it or not, I promise you, it'll come back. I promise you. I just promise you. Your anger issue, oh, it's just me. It's my temper. It's me in the car. No, no, no. Everyone at your office is scared of you and walks around in eggshells. Your kids are scared of you and walk around in eggshells. Why? Because your anger, it's not just impacting you. It's not. Your laziness, your team is suffering because you're lazy at practice. Your office is suffering because you're, they're having to come back behind you and do the work that you were supposed to be doing. And so it's hurting everybody. You could go down the line. You're a passive man. Your family is suffering. You're an obnoxious person. The office is suffering. Whatever it is, your sin impacts. Jonah's sin is impacting these sailors. They're not sinless, but they are innocent in this and they are suffering. This is why the New Testament says a little leaven leavens the whole dough. 
Or we say in English, a bad apple spoils the bunch, right? Get rid of the bad apple. You don't sin in isolation. You need to own it. Call it what it is. Don't pretty it up. Make excuses. I'm a Hebrew. I serve Yahweh. This is not very Yahweh-like of me. It's a powerful thing. And so now the sailors are even more confused. They say, what do we do? What do we do that the sea may quiet down? Because it's getting worse and worse. He tells them, pick me up, hurl me, another hurl, hurl me into the sea, and then the sea will quiet down. For I know it's because of me. It's come on you. It's on me. It's my, my bad. Right? It says on me. So you, you want to get rid of it? You got to throw me in the ocean. Now, if I'm one of these dudes, I'm like, okay, grab a leg. Let's go. Let's get this guy off. Right? I mean, who, you, you say you wouldn't. You would, you would completely throw him in the water. But here's the irony of this story. So you have this Yonah, meaning dove or peace, son of Amittai, truth. The dove, son of truth. Peace, son of truth. Who could care less about anybody else? And the irony is the sailors who are pagans who don't even worship his God, they care more about Jonah than he cares about them. That's the irony. He's put their lives in danger. They're trying to save his life. Nevertheless, they're they're like, no, no, we can't do that. So they're trying to row harder and harder, but they're fighting it, kicking against the goads. They're not gonna beat God. So eventually they're like, and there's this dramatic change in the story. Therefore, they called out to Yahweh. Earlier, they're calling out to what? To their gods, to their Elohim, which is a generic word for God. Now, they are calling out to the covenant God of Israel, Yahweh. And they're crying for mercy. Who's crying for mercy? The pagan sailors. Who's not crying for mercy? Jonah. Right, Jonah. They're asking for forgiveness to Yahweh. Who's not asking for forgiveness? Jonah. They're trusting in God's providence and sovereignty. Lord, you have done as you please. Who's not? Jonah. So you have these pagan sailors who now come to faith in the covenant God of Israel and they are worshiping. And so what do they do? They pick old boy up and throw him into the sea. And what happens? Peace. Reminds you of what? Jesus on the Sea of Galilee wakes up. Peace, be still. And the sea calms, right? And then they exceedingly, Yahweh, they feared, they worshiped the Lord. They offer sacrifice, which is interesting. I don't know how you light a fire in a boat, but whatever. Figure that out later. And they made vows. The irony, the pagan sailors repent and believe in the covenant God of Israel. And Jonah is going overboard. And just a few kind of side observations. Observation number one, the beauty of our God, the sovereignty of our God, that he can even take your rebellion and bring about good. Because this is what Romans 8, 28 actually ultimately means, that God causes all things together for good for those who love him. That God can take a rebellious prophet who has no interest in obedience and he can bring lost sailors to faith. That's how great our God is. He can use even your rebellion, even your horrible circumstances, even the storm to bring about good. That's how good he is. But here's the second thing. And I I want us to get this as a church. It is a powerful thing when people stand up and say, I'm a Christian and that wasn't very Christian of me. I fear Yahweh, but I'm running from him. Because I've been part of churches where you do not talk about when you have issues. Like if you have issues with kids or in your marriage or in your finances, you struggle with depression or anxiety, that your job is to keep it quiet because Christians don't do that. And all I saw happen in that situation was a bunch of people struggling in silence. 
And then when one person, it does come out that they were, oh, their kids are this or their marriage is this, it's, it's everyone just judges and heaps it on even though they're struggling because everyone runs and everyone has fights with their spouse and everyone has kids who don't always obey and everyone has issues with this and this. But we don't talk about it because good Christians just read their Bible and do a want us, right? We don't ever struggle. And it is a powerful thing when the church admits we're broke. We're broke. If you're not, then why are you here? Why, that's why we are not to forsake the assembling. We're to encourage one another as long as the day is still called today because we need this to be reminded. You stink, he doesn't. You run, he chases. That's what we need to be reminded. I need it. Certainly if anyone needs it, I'm the chief of sinners, I need it. And, and I don't wanna ever be a church that we portray this image that we got it all together. Look at us, we're good. Because if that's us, then all we are is Jonah sleeping in the bottom of the boat while the world is raging and the world is storming and we have no prophetic voice to speak into the world. That's it. So we need to be awake, O sleeper, and admit that you run, but admit there's a God who chases. That's who we are. So what do they do? They throw him in. He does a little cannonball, right? And, and, and there's a lot of talk about Jonah at this point. And don't get me wrong, there's nothing good about Jonah in this story, so I'm not trying to pump him up. But you know, he's just selfish and he's trying to commit suicide. Maybe, he does it in chapter four, so it's not unheard of him, for him. But I think there's also this idea, he believes that God is the God of the sea, so he puts himself at the mercy of the God of the sea. And I don't know what Jonah expected to happen, I think he expected to die. Time to face the music. I can tell you, he didn't expect to happen what happened, I can tell you that. Because what happened is Yahweh appointed a great fish, right? And this word appointed, it's a great word. The NLT, I like it, it says he arranged. There was an appointment, right? There's a sovereignty piece here that the great fish was at the right place at the right time that it did the right thing. Didn't chomp him, swallowed him whole, Right? And, you know, I'm not going to bore you with biology. You can read all about, well, you know, in 1890, there was this kind of whale that swallowed this dude in Massachusetts, and this is why we know it happened. I don't know what kind of whale it is. Don't ask me. Was it a sperm whale? I don't know. Moby Dick was. I know that. Was it a blue whale? I don't know. What kind of fish was it? A great one. A great fish. And you say, well, that's just kind of weird. I can't believe that. That's the whole point. It's supposed to be weird. It's called a miracle. If God sent a, a, another ship that was just so happened to be in the area or a piece of driftwood that he could lay, then you could say, well, that's coincidence. He does something crazy so you could say, that was God. There's no other explanation. That was God, right? That's the whole point, right? But understand this, and this is what you have to grasp this. The fish is not God's punishment of Jonah, Young man, you're going to time out for three days and three nights. The fish is God's salvation. Can you see this? The fish is God's grace to get him back where? To dry land. Now, is it a comfortable journey? It's probably not a nice cruise ship. There's no windows on this boat. But see, that's the consequences of sin. There is grace to lead you home, but grace is stinky right now but it's still God's grace to rescue Jonah, right? It is a beautiful picture of grace. And, and, and here's, here's the thing. He's, he's ultimately putting himself ultimately in God's hands. And what does he find? 
he finds grace. He gets up, he owns his deal, he casts himself on the sea, and what does he find? He finds grace. And what I would say to you this morning is you need to get up, you need to call it out, and you need to rest in God's grace, wherever you're at. That may be a long journey of experiencing grace, or it might be a quick return, but you need to rest in God's grace. And this picture, this fish this, that swallows him up, it is the picture of the gospel. Jonah is cast into the sea, which is being the object of God's wrath is what? On the sea. It's raging. What happens when he touches that sea? The wrath of God is propitiated and there is calm and peace as he goes in. And what does Jesus say? That's me. That I was the most, just like the fish is the most unlikely of source of salvation. Do you know what's even more unlikely? Is a Roman cross, which is foolishness but is the ultimate pick of, picture of salvation where Jesus was basically cast into the sea, the wrath that you deserved. And he goes in and there is peace and calm for those above. Why? So that you could be put back on dry land. So that God could say, you deserve this boat and this rocking and rolling and this tearing apart. I took it for you so you could have peace. Now I'm putting you on the dry land to send you to where I have for you. It's, it may be a rough journey, but I'm, I'm, I'm with you to put you in a place where you can go live the life he has called you to live. All because Jesus took the wrath. So I don't know if I can, I, I'm just telling you, someone in this room this morning, you're curled up in a fetal position spiritually and you're, I don't know, I, and Satan is in your ear. He's not talking about you. you, you I know where you've been. I know what you've done. And there's grace, but not for you. And you need to stop listening to him and you need to listen to this, this short preacher telling you that there is nothing you can do to separate you from the love of God in Christ if you will come back to him. That there's no sin that is too great for the cross that doesn't cover it. And you can believe the lie or you can believe the scripture. But the one who's lying to you is the enemy of your soul and he's the one who leads you astray and then, then he accuses you. You need to get up and face this God because he's chasing you and he need to own your deal. And he already knows it. He's not surprised at it. He just wants you to be able to speak it out so that you can rest in this grace, which is proven and given to you on the cross of Jesus as he was crucified for your sin. He was put in the grave like he was put in the fish and he came out being declared a son of God in victory so that you can have victory and he can put you on dry land and he can send you back and he can put you to work on this great adventure. Going to Nineveh, going to Scad, going to Gulfstream, going to Jenkins, going to wherever. Take it his name. That's what he's calling you to do, right? That everyone runs, but praise God that he chases. So get up and face him. Own your deal and rest in the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ this morning. And if you, look, if you want someone to pray for you, man, I'd love to pray for you. We have a prayer team in the hall. You need to talk to somebody afterwards, come talk to them. Someone's running because we all run. Don't keep running. You don't have to run. You don't have to run. He's chasing you because he loves you. He wants to restore you to life, right? Because he is the source of living water. Let me pray. We'll have a time to reflect uh, through singing. Again, if you need to talk to someone, pray with someone, they'll be in the back hall after service. Please don't hesitate to come back and, and talk to someone. Don't keep running. Father, I pray. Uh, that you would give us a prophetic voice, that we wouldn't be sleeping, that we would uh, be out on the, the deck pointing people to you, uh, that we wouldn't be a church that thinks we have it all together because we don't. 
And for the person this morning that's been running, they've been hiding, that they would be, just hear your invitation. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and you will give rest. That there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. It's in his precious name we pray. Amen. You guys can stand as we sing.